Sideline Dissonant Podcast coming to you, as always, from a broom closet here in Los Angeles, California. I'm your host, Bradley Whitaker. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about World Series today. Golden State Warriors, they finally won their first game last night against the New Orleans Pelicans. And finally, I'll wrap up talking a little bit about the election. Uh, not specifically about Trump or Hillary. Instead, I'll talk about political parties and our future. Is it possible to have a third party? I'm going to tell you if the answer is yes or no. But World Series Game 5 starts tonight. Cubs versus Indians. And, you know, lately a lot of strangers have been coming up to me. And they go up to me and they say, Brad, why do you hate soccer so much? And I tell them, first off, I tell them, how do you know my name? You're a stranger. Uh, but then after that, I say, I give them an answer like, nobody wants to watch a one to nothing game. It's boring. They just kick the ball around for a little bit. And, you know, one nothing game. It's one nothing if you're lucky. Nobody wants to see a game end in a, <coughs> a game end in a tie at 0-0. But one nothing. Don't want to see that either. But after last night's World Series game, it's clear that I'm a little bit ignorant about soccer. A little bit. Because I think you have to appreciate... To appreciate a sport, you have to understand it. And I... Sure, I played soccer as a kid, but my understanding of the sport is a bunch of people are kicking the ball around, occasionally someone scores... I'm going to go watch football. But last night, I thoroughly enjoyed Cleveland's one to nothing victory in Game 3 because of the tension in that ballpark at Wrigley Field. The first game, first World Series game at Wrigley Field since 1945. Just to put that in perspective, that's when World War II ended. So people paid... Three thousand dollars, three, four, five thousand dollars, just to get a single ticket to Game Three of the World Series last night, and the Cubs couldn't get a single run. You know, Kyle Hendricks pitched great, but I think Josh Tomlin pitched just a little bit better. Uh, still great though. The Cubs were in the game the whole time. Hendricks, I remember when he he got pulled. He got pulled after maybe 85 pitches. I uh, probably could have kept going, but uh, you had to pull him. Bases were loaded. There was only one out. 85 pitches, that's a big chance to take. And then the next batter, they grounded into a double play, and that ballpark went nuts. That was a great moment. Uh, but then, you know, the whole game came down to one hit from Coco Crisp. That's it. Uh, so, Cubs are down. Two to one. Uh, they needed game three. You know, it's Cubs fans have gone through a little bit of torture this postseason. I'm not to say they haven't gone through much worse torture since, uh, what was it, 1908 when they last won. But last night, they're down two to one again. They were down two to one against the Dodgers. And even when they were up 2-0 on the San Francisco Giants, they, they dropped game three, and it looked like they were going to drop game four until the last, last inning. But the Cubs, if they don't win game four, pressure's certainly on. They can't go down 3-1 to 
with the last three games, with only one of those being at Wrigley. Game five will be at Wrigley, uh, but they can't win it there now. Uh, so it's it's big that they're down two to one. The reason why is this is going to sound silly, but the Indians are one win away from being one win away from winning the World Series. Tensions rise when a team has three wins, and you know Cleveland's not going to go back to Cleveland and drop two straight. It's it's going to be very difficult. So the Cubs they need to win tonight in Game Four, and they probably need to win Game Five. Golden State Warriors won their first game last night, 122 to 114. Obviously, they're going to go 81 and one the rest of the season. Kevin Durant had 30 points, uh, and Clay Thompson wasn't kidding about giving up his shots. He he had 28 points total, and he took nine attempted three pointers, made two of them. Steph Curry took 10 attempts from beyond the arc and had just four. Now, uh, obviously, I was being sarcastic when I said the Warriors are going to go 81-1 and because if you watch last night, you know, they won the game, but it's clear they did not look as dominant. The Pelicans were never out of the game at any point. And it's, it's, it's a lot different from what it was two years ago uh, when the Warriors started to become such a dominant team. Uh, you know, we thought the Warriors were going to reshape basketball, and they did. They changed the style of play. You know, a lot of it was sabermetrics based, and a lot of it was the players that they had. You know, it's, it's true that if you, if you take 100 shots, if you take 100 three-pointers, and then you take 100 two-pointers, if you make 34 three-pointers, that's, if you make 34% of them, that's more points than if you make... 50% of those two-pointers. Uh, so, you know, the Warriors, big three-point shooting team. They have, last year they had three of the top five sh three-point shooters in the NBA. Now they have four of the top five three-point shooters in the NBA. But we forget that it's been two full seasons since the Warriors were the team to beat. And their style of basketball while two years ago that might have been what wins in the NBA, I think it's different now. I do. And, and yeah, we, when the Warriors started to take over, I, I thought we were going to have about a decade of this guard-first, shoot-from-beyond-the-arc style of basketball. But the sports can evolve. They can change very, very quickly. Uh, and we see this all the time in the NFL. Uh, what works one season doesn't work the next. It's because teams tend to make adjustments from year to year in order to beat the best teams. In the NFL, uh, the last three or four seasons, we've seen a surge from linebackers and defensive tackles. Not only have they gotten bigger, they've gotten a lot more athletic. That's why the Broncos won the Super Bowl. That's why they made two trips to the Super Bowl two out of three years. That's why the Seahawks won it. And even when the Patriots won it two years ago, uh, that was a team that emphasizes the linebacker position. And they, they still do. But now what you're seeing in the NFL is teams are starting to build up offensive lines to combat those linebackers and to, to get rid of that pass rush. And you're seeing that a lot now. You're seeing something similar in the NBA. 
teams aren't just figuring out how to replicate the Warriors. And you can't really replicate the Warriors' style of play if they have four of the best three-point shooters in the game. So instead of replicating it, teams are figuring out how to mitigate it. And we saw last year, some teams match up much better to the Warriors than others. Obviously, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they had a huge size advantage. And, you know, they should have won that series. They, they were up three games to one. They should have closed that out. But we saw that's how you beat that team. The Cavs, they didn't have as large of a size advantage. But they still played physical basketball. And I think that's ultimately what wore down the Warriors and allowed them to win three straight. And ultimately, the NBA Finals. Uh, and then there's teams, you know, with quicker athletic defensive guards. The Celtics are probably the best example. They, they were the first team to beat Golden State uh, in Golden State. And they, they got bigger in the offseason. So you're seeing teams taking steps uh, to match up better against the Warriors. Uh, they're not taking as many threes. I'm sure there are some teams, even the Cavs last year, that you know, changed their game a little bit, pulled away some ideas from what Golden State has done. But the teams that beat Golden State last year are going to beat them again this year for the same reasons. You know, forget Kevin Durant. You know, he's, sure, he is the greatest free agent of all time not named LeBron James. And the Warriors got him. But the Warriors got weaker where they were weak last year. So I've always been a kind of person that watches the local news at least a little bit. Uh, I grew up in Maine and you know our, our local news in Maine is fantastic. It's, it's basically yeah go down to the bingo hall on Tuesday but you know I decided to come down on Monday because they needed volunteers to put the lights up. Yeah that's the kind of story you see on the local news in Maine. Uh, now I live in Los Angeles and the local news is a little bit more uh, like wow there was a stabbing two blocks from where I am right now. That's nice. It's a little bit different. But uh, there are some things in common from the local news in Maine and here in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, if you're out here in LA, you can't report on all gun shootings and stabbings. I'm sure they could if they wanted to, but you have to have some happy stories in there. Uh, but finding those stories is a little bit difficult for some local newscasters, and they're lazy just like the rest of us. So what they do is, they go out and they interview folks and ask them about certain things. Right now, the hot button issue is the election, obviously. Uh, but, you know, no local news network wants to take sides. So they're going to ask things that aren't as polarizing. Uh, but the only people that are available to do these local news interviews at 2 o'clock in the afternoon every day tend to be older folks. And, uh,. You know, what, what you'll end up hearing in their segments is uh, you'll, you'll hear that same frustration. You'll hear that thing that comes out over and over and over again, which is there's millions and millions of people that live in this country, and these were the two best candidates we could come up with. How many times have you heard that? You know, I've... You, and I, this isn't just older generations. This is especially prevalent among my generation, the millennials. Millions of people live in here, and we are down to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Is that really the best we can do? 
How many times have you heard that over the last, what, six months? You know, this is, this is a nationwide frustration, and it's the reason why right now there are more independents than there are Republicans or Democrats. People don't want to choose from just two teams. And it's, it's kind of become a rivalry. Uh, it's basically the Red Sox versus the Yankees. If the Red Sox and the Yankees were the only two teams in Major League Baseball. You know, obviously the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry was huge back in 2004, but for the last 12 years, the, when the Red Sox have been good, the Yankees haven't been good. Or when the Yankees haven't, have been good, the Red Sox haven't been good. So the rivalry hasn't been as much, has been as large, and it's been friendly for the most part. But if those were the only two teams in baseball and they just played each other every day and the World Series was always Red Sox and Yankees, those fans would be at each other's throats every single day. With this in mind, it's not shocking having two political parties here in America is incredibly polarizing and people get riled up over this election when you have two candidates like Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Not shocking. But the solution seems to be, and this happens every election, not just when you have a crazy candidate like Trump running or, or someone that's as uh, controversial as Hillary Clinton. People say, why can't we have a third party? I'm tired of the Republicans. I'm tired of the Democrats. But they don't realize that we live in what's called a winner-take-all system. And that makes it almost impossible for us to have a third party. Uh, in political science, winner-take-all is also known as plurality or a majoritarian system. But what I mean by winner-take-all, I mean what happens is, sure, when we're voting on the president, we divide it up state by state in this funky thing we call the Electoral College. But to win a state, you have to win a higher percentage of the vote than any other candidate on the ballot. And then you, you get all of the electoral votes for that state. And then each of these states vote on U.S. House and Senate members the same way. Uh, so basically, if you're running for the U.S. Senate, all you have to do is, let's say you're running against, you're a Republican, you're running against a Democrat and an Independent. If you get 34% of the vote, you can beat those other candidates. So, with this in mind, if you have three candidates running, one party is going to try to absorb some of the votes from the other party. That's what happens in a winner-take-all system. Because if, if you're an independent in this election, let's say Gary Johnson was polling at like 25%. That would be that would impact Trump's chances or Hillary's chances depending on whether those voters are more likely to vote for Trump or more likely to vote for Hillary. But what you would see is Trump and Hillary voters trying to poach those votes from Gary Johnson. Now they're doing that now obviously because Johnson's polling around what maybe 10 percent but it's it might be enough to impact the election but for the most part you can't really have a third party candidate that's going to make that much of an impact because the Republicans and the Democrats have the power and any other group that's starting to gain some power, they're just going to absorb them. 
you know, the Republicans didn't like Trump. They didn't like Trump voters. But Trump won the primary. And they also knew that if we don't take these alternative right-wing voters, we don't take them in, uh, that's going to hurt the party. Maybe the Democrats will find a way to take them in. So any libertarian or independent candidate is going to struggle to start any sort of movement in the United States. Like, let's just say Gary Johnson somehow was able to pull in 25% of the vote. You know, that's probably not going to happen, but if he were able to get 25% of the vote, it wouldn't matter. He still wouldn't win. He would still disappear. Nothing would happen. However, if it were another country where they run by party with a proportional representational system, a party could get 25% of the vote, not win a majority, but still get 25% of the seats. So they can still be represented because it's a proportional vote. Uh, Israel is a country like this. It's, it's, and it allows for a third, a fourth, a fifth, or a sixth party to come in. You know, you could be part of a party that only represents 3% of the nation and still have a voice in a proportional representation system. But again, we have a winner-take-all or a plurality or majoritarian system here in the United States that doesn't allow for that. Now, sometimes there can be kind of a hybrid of the two. Uh, these are called mixed member systems. Uh, or, you know, what you'll see in countries like the UK is parties will form election coalitions and say, all right, we'll, we'll try to get our voters to vote for this candidate. And that way, uh, this party can get this many seats and this party can get that many. But here in the United States, we can't have anything like that. Because when it's winner take all, you have to have two sides, and any threat to those two sides is only going to be absorbed by one of them. So if you want to change the two-party system, you have to change the system by which we elect people. And I don't think the American people are quite ready for that. And certainly our politicians aren't. At least not yet. So that's it for this podcast. Sorry it was a little shorter. I'm still having some SD card issues. I, I need to order another one on Amazon because the one I got was massive it could hold 64 gigabytes worth of video but the writes the writing speed uh doesn't work with my camera so hopefully i'll be back next week with better higher quality longer podcasts see you then